There we go. So Galatians chapter 3, I'll say this all over again. Uh, for the last few months, I've just been reading Galatians over and over and over and over again. And this is the one chapter, in particular, one section of Scripture that I just kept getting stuck on. And uh, I can take this off, can't I? Hallelujah. And uh, I kind of want to share some of the thoughts that I've come across and hope that I can do a little bit of justice to the teachings of our Lord Jesus. So we're going to read uh, the first you know, 15 verses of Galatians chapter 3, and then, uh, and then we'll pray. So Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Gentiles, sorry, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to obtain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are the children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let's uh, open our time in prayer. Lord God, I come before you this morning, uh, realizing that before you I'm nothing. I'm just a mere man. Lord, I pray that you would use me, that you would speak through me, that would be your Holy Spirit, not myself. May I decrease this morning, Lord, so that you may increase. And as we look at your Son and what He went through at the cross on our behalf, I pray that everything that is said will be uh, truthful, that it will be correct and not an error. Lord, we know that you love your Son, and you hold Him in very high esteem, and have given Him a name that is above every name. And Lord, it is not something that we should take lightly. So I pray that everything that is said this morning is glorifying to you and honoring to what he did for us at the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. So, question for you. How important is the death of Jesus to your faith? Rank it. Give it get, out of all the doctrines out there, all the things that we've ever looked at in the Bible... 
all the practices, all the teachings. One to ten, in your head, how important is it? Is it like the top one? Is it in the middle? Oh, it's definitely near the top. Is it like number nine? Because, oh man, the resurrection, that's, that's really important too. Oh man, what about, oh, love your neighbor as yourself. That's really up there too. That's like the, that's the first law, right? That's the first commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God. Huh. How does it rank the death of Jesus? Is, we heard from James a few months ago talk about the hill that he's willing to die on, right? Is the death of Jesus and the teaching of it, is that a hill that you're willing to die on? Meaning this, uh, assume that the elders of Brentford Bible Chapel stood up one day and said, hey, um, we've been studying the scriptures a lot and we realize that there's a lot in here that we need to focus on more. So to make sure that we have enough time in our meetings, we're going to stop doing the breaking of bread the Lord's Supper, we're going to stop doing the bread and the cup so that we have more time to focus on some of these other teachings that are in the Bible and they're very good, and, and we know we need, to, we need to press that importance. So instead of doing it every week, we'll just do it once a year. Would that be something that you would say instantaneously, I'm out, goodbye? Or would you say, oh, look, let, me, let me look at that some more. Maybe they have a point. If they said... Now listen, we, we believe in the death of Jesus Christ. We hold that. It's, it's, it's important. But you know what? There's some other things that we, we hold might be a little bit more important than that. You know, we need to start focusing on um, pleasing our God through our works. And we need to uphold some of these other teachings in our Bible more highly, more important. We'll spend some more time looking at those more over than the blood of Jesus. Would you be, I'd say I'm out. Where do you stand your ground on this teaching? There are a few teachings in the Bible that, for myself, if a church doesn't hold these as top priority, that's it, I'm done, I'm out. See, the Galatians here, they're, they're getting some troubling waters right now. And it's over this teaching of the death of Jesus Christ and its significance and its importance. So i got a little story for you. That's a true account. Um, I heard about while I was studying for this, and it's about Cambridge University. In the earliest, early 20th century, in the early 20th century, Cambridge University, uh, there was a small group of Christians that got together, and they called themselves the CCU, all right, Cambridge Christian Union, and they would get together and have Bible studies. They were conservative. Um, they believed the teachings of the Bible, and and them very literally. And they believed on the importance of evangelizing. So they were a small group getting started. There was already, though, a group on campus called the Student Christian Movement, the uh, SCM, the Student Christian Movement. And they were very large, very well established, very well funded. Um, But they were much more liberal. See, they did not take much of the Bible's key doctrines as literal. They did believe that they were teachings that we should have, but they weren't all necessarily that important. So they had two separate groups, the more conservative one and the more liberal one. And after World War, after the Great World War, both groups were struggling for numbers. And both the the leaders, the the presidents of each group, uh, said, hey, maybe for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ, we should get together, talk out our differences, and maybe join forces for the sake of presenting ourselves as one before the, the college group. 
And they both said, that'd probably be a good idea. Let's, let's sit down and talk about our differences. I'm going to read to you the account of the president of the CCU, the more conservative group, right? The Bible-believing group. Here's what he said in the meeting, okay? So the president of the CCU, Norman Grubb is his name, said this. The meeting was held at the CCU headquarters, and after an hour of discussion, not much had been accomplished. So Norman asked this one question. Does the SCM, right, the more, the more little group, does the SCM consider the atoning blood of Jesus Christ the central point of the gospel message? And after thinking for a minute, the other president responded, um, no. Uh, it, we don't believe it to be critical unto salvation. Now, however, we do include it in our teaching. We do feel that it is important, but it is not the unique importance, only thing that you need to get to heaven. Norman responded pretty quickly after that. says, well, that settles the matter then. <laughs> we do not, sorry, we hold to the fully sufficient atoning blood of Jesus as the central heart of our message. And we could never join forces or join as one with a movement that does not believe the same. Does the blood of Jesus to you the point on the hill at which you die? If anyone ever asked you to recant that, you said, no, I cannot. See, there are a lot of teachings in the Bible where we should not separate each other. Because I know the Lord wants unity amongst his body. But the cross and death of Jesus, that's not negotiable. That, that, that's one you take your ground and you stand there firm on it. And that's what these believers did. See, the Galatians, here in this section of Scripture, see, they first believed the message that came to them. They believed, oh, Jesus Christ died for me. By faith, I accept that message, and my sins are forgiven. They accepted Paul's teachings and the importance of the cross. But over time, they, begun, they began to entertain ideas that watered down, belittled the importance of Jesus at the cross. So throughout chapter 3, Paul is laying out an argument. See, that the crucifixion is the most important. It is the fundamental foundation on which we take our stand as Christians. And he's really concerned about the Galatians because they are taking the gospel and ruining it. They're watering it down. I heard it from here one time. I can't remember exactly who said it, but I wrote it in my notes. That picture a pharmacist who has the antidote to cancer but takes it and waters it down. That's the same as watering down the gospel. It's no good, is it? If you take it and change its chemical composition and water it down and dilute it, it's not going to work. The same for the gospel. If you take the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and his atoning sacrifice through his blood and you water it down, you dilute it and add something to it, it's not going to work. It's ineffective now. See, we have to be very careful. It says right here you know, in, in Galatians 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, saying you guys had a great foundation, you believed, you accepted the Holy Spirit. 
that you are now trying to obtain your goal by human effort. You're, so you started believing what we told you at first. You believed the gospel, but now you think that down the road you need to like do something to improve upon it? You see, the whole mentality of Jesus is important, his death is important, but see, Jesus plus me equals salvation. Jesus alone is not salvation. I have to add to it. That, that takes away the whole effect of Jesus then. Why, why do you even need Jesus if you can do it on your own? If there's something you can, even a little bit you can add to it, you've watered it down, you've diluted it, you've ruined it. I, I hope this morning that people here and listening online don't have that problem in their life. That you think you can add anything to the blood of Jesus to make it better to make it more effective, to get you into heaven better. It's not going to work. Does this exist even in our own church? Well, uh, this is just me. I'm speaking from my life accounts. This is where I have to be careful, right? It's where I've caught myself going, oh, wait a minute, did I just do this in my own life? I'm a believer. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that He died for me. And that by placing my faith in Him, I have eternal salvation. And nothing else. However, have you ever had a week maybe like me, where I had a bad week? Bad thoughts, bad attitude, said a lot of things that were not okay. I was a really bad representation of a Christian here on earth. And before the Lord, I just had a bad... I felt miserable before the Lord. But then the next week comes... And I, and I turn it around. You know what? I, I'm doing my devotions. I'm praying. I'm, I'm being a good light to the world. And at the end of the week, they go, man, you know what, God? You should, you should be pleased with me this week. Because uh, I had a bad week before, but I, I paid it off. I'm good now. Like, have you ever done that? Like, you've had a bad, rough stretch. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe I'm... I, this is just me. But I've, I've had bad stretches. And then after a week or so later, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll work that off. You know, God, we're, we're okay now, right? Because I, I had a really rough time, and I know I let you down, but I, I earned it back. Do you know what I just did? I took my bad deeds and my good deeds, and I weighed them out and said that my good deeds are not better than my bad deeds. That's wrong, guys. That is wrong. I just took the cross of Jesus and watered it down. I belittled it. Do you think God really looked at me any different when I was bad versus when I'm good? I'm a sinner. Both ways, I'm a sinner. And the only way that he looks at me now is he sees me as perfect before him because of the blood of Jesus Christ that's applied to my life. The problem is, I said, no, I need more than just the blood of Jesus Christ to please you, God. I need my actions to please you and make us okay. Now, certainly, I'm not saying that it's okay to go sin. All right? Well, clearly not. And clearly, if you do sin, you've got to come before the Father, confess your sin, and move on. That's the only way to make it better, right? And certainly, you should try to please Him. Certainly, you should perform good works with a good attitude, not trying to earn your salvation, right, out, out of gratitude towards Him, certainly. But I'll tell you, what, what was going on in my head 
was not okay. It was me adding to the gospel. And it's a very dangerous place to be in. And that's Paul's argument to these guys. He's saying, listen, stop adding to the scripture. There's nothing more you need to do. If you think that by observing the law, doing all these good moral things is going to make God happy with you and give you a better standing in heaven and make your salvation more secure, you got problems. It's a lie. So be very careful thinking that you can bank credits in heaven to pay off your bad ones, even as Christians. You know what, God, I had a bad week this week, so next week, you know, I'm going to go evangelize. I'm going to go share the gospel with three people. I'm going to make sure that happens, God. I'll make up for it. Guys, it's wrong. Now listen, you, you, you should go evangelize, and you should do it, but don't think that you can just Weigh off the bad things that you've done or the disappointments that you've let him down by making up for it. That's not how it works. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Verse 10. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Christ redeems, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What does that mean? This is the climax of Paul's argument right here. Christ became a curse for us. And this is the section that just got me stumped. Like, I, I never fully, I just read it and I read it and I read it, but I never, like, what does it mean that Christ became a curse for me? Does that mean like some hocus pocus, voodoo magic, witch doll doctor, you know, magic, you know, curses? What does it really mean that Christ became a curse for us? Well, turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, we're going to read a section out of there. And, I, and again, this is what got my whole mind going on in Galatians chapter 3. As I kept reading through, reading through the section here, I, I always want to know, or I guess I more and more want to know, what did Christ really go through in becoming a curse? What does that mean? What does that look like? Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. You're like, Brian, this, this is not curses. This is blessings well just bear with me let's see where i'm going with this okay the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord turn his face toward you and give you peace man i knew that new i think it's hillsong that new hillsong song i can't get out of my mind every time i read this right um this is the blessing from god right a blessing to us of what the blessings of God would be is this. The Lord bless you and keep you. May God protect you. May He put a hedge around you and watch over you. 
the Lord make his face shine upon you. Man, that's exactly what Moses asked for, wasn't it? Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you. And what happened? He had such an intimate time with the Lord, being so close to him, even though he didn't see him, he saw his backside, that when he came down and, and saw the people, his face was radiating in light. He was having such a close time with the Lord. He had to cover his face up because he was so bright. Lord, bless me and make your face shine upon me. I want to have an intimate, close relationship with you. Come near me. May your presence be with me. Be gracious. May he be gracious to you and give you what you do not deserve. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Man, that's the blessing of God, isn't it? Like that, That's what the definition of blessing would be. The highest level of blessing right there. R.C. Sproul, when I was reading through his section on this, made this point so, so good. If we don't understand what curses are, let's look at what blessings are and then flip them around. So you ready? I'm going to reread the section, but I'm going to do the opposite of what it says. And this really helped me to understand what the curse of God might look like. So if this is the blessing of God to its highest regard, what is the curse of God to its lowest regard look like? May the Lord curse you and abandon you. May the Lord keep you in darkness and exclude you from His presence and give you only judgment without grace. May the Lord turn His back upon you and remove you his, sorry, remove his peace from you forever. I'm going to read one more time. May the Lord curse you and abandon you. May the Lord keep you in darkness and exclude you from His presence and give you only judgment without grace. May the Lord turn His back upon you and remove His peace from you forever. I don't know, but when I read that, the first time I read that, instantaneously something came to my mind. Was there an image or a thought or an event in Scripture that when you read that, bam, I, I know this. I know what this is talking about. Did, it, did the cross of Jesus come to your mind? Because <laughs> this is exactly what he went through, right? He was cursed by his father. God abandoned him at the cross. My God, my God, it was, I loved it this morning when, when it was read. I was like, this is exactly where I'm going today. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father turned his back on his son. The presence of God was put away from Jesus. May the Lord keep you in darkness. Darkness came over the earth. And excluded from his presence. May you only have judgment without grace. Did the Father show any mercy on his Son? He did not hold back. It pleased the Father to crush him. God the Father let it all out on him. May the Lord turn his back upon you and remove his peace from you. See, Jesus Christ went through that curse so that I wouldn't have to. Now I can receive the blessings. Why was Jesus hung on a tree? 
Why, why did he have to go on a cross? Like it says right here, right? Uh, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Well, clearly, this is being quoted from Old Testament. So we got to go back there, right? So Deuteronomy chapter 21, I'll just read it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 21, and verse 22, part of the law says this. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain on that tree all night, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You should not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for your inheritance. You see, there are many ways that people have died and be put to death over the years, right? I mean, the Jews, their most common practice for someone who needed capital punishment, needed to be put to death, was what? Stoning, right? Keep them up full pile of stones, make them go away. That, that was the most common practice, right? I mean, you also could have burned people alive, right? You, you could have drowned them. You could have beheaded them. Like, there's, we could just go on and on about all the different ways that people throughout history have killed people. Why did Jesus have to get hung on a cross? Why couldn't they have stoned Jesus? Why couldn't they have burned Jesus? I mean, would, would not his blood have been spilt if he were stoned? I mean, would, would not have he died, you know, if he was burned? See, when someone was hanging on a tree, like what it just said there, right? What did it just say? It said this. His body shall not remain on the tree all night, um, but you bury him the same day. Why? For a man hanging on a tree is cursed by God. You see, if you see someone hanging on a cross, or on a tree in this case, because the cross hadn't been invented yet, right? It was a sign to the world, that that person had violated God's law, that they had done something really wrong. And now the curse of God, the judgment of God, is now being placed on him, and he's carrying out his sentence for the world to see. So back in Deuteronomy, God put this event, he put this, you know, teaching in place about this curse, in my mind, foreshadowing what was to come. You see, when a Jewish person, knowing the Scriptures, being brought up in the Scriptures, being taught these things, hearing these things, being read to them, right? If they were walking down the street, and all of a sudden, oh, there's someone hanging. What comes to their mind? Oh, that person must have done something really bad. Mm Mm-hmm. And on top of that, there's this image in their mind of the curses of God being brought down on him. That he is paying the ultimate judgment for his sin. And that he is now currently bearing the wrath of God hanging on a tree because he is cursed by God. Now flip forward thousands of years later, we have Jesus on a cross. Every Jewish person who walked by that cross what must have come back in our mind? That he is bearing the wrath of God and all the curses 
because he's hanging on a tree. See, I think one of the reasons why Jesus had to be hung on a tree, hung on a cross, is a visual representation to the world that this person has taken all the curse of sin upon himself. On display. See, God, the, the details of his son's life matter down to the smallest one. And God planned it out such that anybody who walks by the cross or in the future who reads through this and understands the scriptures and God's teachings, when they see the when they see the cross, something should pop up in their minds. And that is all the curses and wrath and judgment of God falls on that person. Making it clear to you and me today that he went to the cross not because he was a bad person, obviously being a good person, but that he took the curse that belonged to us, the sin, the judgment that belonged on us, he bore that wrath publicly on display for everybody to see. See, if they stoned him, this imagery wouldn't come up necessarily. If they had burned him, this whole imagery of him taking on the curse wouldn't have come up. God is very particular about the details. And every little matter. And his foreshadowing and planning out the death of his son. He, he really planned it out ahead of time. And he let us know what to look for. So we know that scripture plainly teaches that the righteous will die for the unrighteous, right? So that's, that's the whole teaching of the substitution, right? He took my sin and I took upon me his righteousness. Right? The whole exchange effect. A couple quick stories out of the Old Testament, right? We have the Israelites. They came out of Egypt. They just crossed over the Red Sea. For three days they walked through the desert. They're getting thirsty. There ain't nothing to drink. And when they come out and they're walking through, they start, obviously, what is the first thing that Israelites do? They, they grumble. Ah, oh, we need some water. And of course, they come upon some water. Hey, hey water! And Mora, right? It's this land called Mora. And they come across this, this big lake, this body of water, and they go to drink it, and the water's bitter. The water's cursed. If you drink that water, you'll die. So what does God do? He tells Moses, Moses, go get a stick. We'll get a piece of wood, a piece of a tree. Take that stick, throw it into the water. What happened? That water became sweet. See, that stick thrown into the water, the water that was cursed, water that brought death if you took it, if you drank it. That stick took, pictorially, took in all the cursing, all the death, all the judgment, all the badness in that water he took it upon itself and made the water sweet that's exactly what christ did for us right christ hanging on the cross hanging on that tree took all that judgment on himself and gave us only the good stuff in return when the jews were about to 40 years later the jews are about to enter the land one of the last thing moses shares with the people is says hey when you enter the land because i'm not going in but when you enter the land Right, Aaron, take the Israelites, split them into two groups. Right? I want six tribes to go on top of Mount Ebal. I want six tribes to go on top of Mount Gerizim. 
And what are you going to do? You're going to yell back and forth to each other. And you're going to yell to each other from Mount Ebal. You're going to yell all the curses, right, from the Old Testament. All the curses of the law. If we do this, if we do this wrong, we do this wrong, we do this wrong, here are the judgments that will fall upon us. And from Mount Gerizim, all the six tribes over there will yell back. But if we do this, if we do this, if we do this, all the good things, God will what? Bless us. Right? And they would have this event where they're going back and forth with the blessings and the curses. See, essentially what Christ did at the cross is Christ went over to Mount Ebal where we belong because we know that if you fall short on one part of the law, if you fall short once, you're guilty of breaking all of it. We all belong on Mount Ebal under the curses of God. Jesus went over there and he took those curses all upon himself at the cross. And then said, you can go to Mount Gerizim and receive all the blessings. There is nothing you need to do except for believe by faith. You try and add anything to that, you'll ruin the gospel. We've got to be very careful, ladies and gentlemen. And we need to go back to what we first believed. By faith, you are saved through faith. By grace, you are saved through faith. Not by faith, you are saved through faith. By grace, you are saved. And that's it, guys. That's it. So I just want to give him the glory this morning that he took on himself the weight of my sin and bore the wrath of God, the curse. And I want to make sure I had nothing to that because it's perfect the way it is. So let's give him thanks. Lord our God, we give you thanks this morning for your plan of salvation and how you clearly portrayed throughout scriptures that a Messiah would come and a Messiah would die and that all would be blessed through him. Lord, I thank you this morning that I can receive your blessings not because of anything that I have done or any good works that I have done, but because your Son bore your wrath on my place. And that He has now placed His righteousness upon me so that anything good in my life is nothing that I've earned or that I deserved, but is truly a blessing and a gift from You. May I give You all the glory, all the honor, all the thanksgiving for anything the good in my life. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, your sons, in your name. Amen.